Well, the reason we go to Turkey, and I have one, one other picture. This is, uh, that's my youngest. You, you, you know my oldest son, Robbie. He was in Fiddler, and my middle son, Winston, and they're sitting here. And that's my youngest son, Wesley, with my wife, Pam, who graduated from the college in 1990. So, um, you know, we did what many of you are doing. We came here, and the Lord provided us with faithful wives. And I know that many of you are, will find your wives or your husbands here, too, and we're, and we're thankful. We're thankful. This is a place. So that's my family, and um, we moved to Albania in 93, and uh, my wife was expecting Robbie, and so um, the boys grew up over there. Uh, there's another Albanian here, Justin Lay, somewhere. Kuya Justin. Kuya Tani. Justin Lay. Kuers. Oh, Nugursk too. Huh? He's not here today. Justin Lay, the other Albanian. Um, also today, I want to introduce this to my friend Ed Lutz. He was my best friend in high school. Just wave your hand, Ed. He's a pastor in Phoenix. His son Danny plays for the baseball team. And so uh, Ed came over this morning. It's just good to see him. We, we, um, we both were in Fiddler on the Roof back in our high school, back in uh, right a long time ago, you know. Uh, but the reason we go in and out of Turkey is we're, we're involved in coaching some, uh, some marketplace ministers, some tent makers, if you will. And this is one of the families we're involved with. And so we... We were just with them last week after the haircut. Spent a long time with this family. Uh, this is Ben and Betsy and their kids. I won't tell you their last name. Uh, but the Lord has uh, raised them up to move to Turkey as marketplace ministers. Uh, ben actually is an MK, was raised in Argentina, speaks fluent Spanish, and uh, got a job with an international logistics company in Turkey uh, about five years back. And he went over there not knowing Turkish. He even told him, said, I, look, I don't have a business degree. I've got a Bible degree. I've been a pastor. Does that matter? No, no, just come. We, he was a good leader and known for his leadership and, and for his Spanish language ability. So they put him over the Spanish division, Spanish language division of this company. They gave him a company car, and he, and he got right engaged in the marketplace life in Istanbul. And, uh, you know, after two years, he was meeting with a traditional worker. Uh, you should know that... Um, I don't use the word missionary very much, uh, simply because of where I work, so I've tried to eliminate from my vocabulary. So if you hear me say worker, a traditional worker, a worker, I'm speaking of a missionary. So um, he was meeting with a traditional worker after his first two years there, and th this person had been there about seven or eight years, and they said, you know, Ben, you know more about the Turkish people and culture than I do, and I've been here way longer than you. How do you explain that? The, the answer is simple, uh, men and women here, young men and women. Ben's been in the marketplace. He's been 40, 50 hours a week engaged in the marketplace, learning the Turks, learning the Turkish people, becoming friends with them, taking holidays with them, um, learning the day-to-day -day life that a traditional worker doesn't normally get to. doesn't usually happen that way. Uh, so we are involved with, uh, with Ben and Betsy. So he did that for a couple years. His Turkish language had suffered a bit, so he took time off, learned the language better. Now he's finishing his... Uh, his MBA, listen up business students or anybody, you don't have to be a business student, but just listen up. He's finishing up a two-year MBA right now in Turkey. It's costing him $15,000 for the two-year program. All his professors studied at London School of Economics, so no, they're no slouches. More importantly, you know, than, than the curriculum that he's learning, and again, he doesn't have a business background, now he's learning business, more importantly are the relationships that he's gaining for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of advancing the truth. Isn't that outstanding? Isn't that good thinking, strategic thinking? His wife teaches at a, um, 
at a um, private school, exclusive private school, so the kids get to go there for free, but that gives them more relationships, right, it, you know, in, engaged, embedded with the Turkish people. That's the model that we now promote. Uh, the Lord allowed us a similar model in Albania. We went over there in 93, and uh, long story short, as we were planting the church, we, um, we set up an educational organization to teach English and computers, the Lincoln Center. Some of you heard of it. Many of you have been there. We had the corral there last summer. And the Lincoln Centers allowed us to plant Grace Church of Tirana, which is now led by Albanian pastors and elders, um, and start a seminary, which has an Albanian dean now. Uh, so we, we, we started the school to teach English and computers, and we had no idea um, what the Lord would do with it. We just wanted to help the people. We thought that coming out of 50 years of communism, the most important thing the young people needed to know was how to speak English and use a computer so they'd be competitive in the modern world. So we did that, and uh, six days a week they would come and learn from us, and we would charge them for it so we could pay the bills to have the facility and pay the teachers. But on Sunday, it was a place for our believers to meet as we were developing the church. So uh, it was a marketplace strategy. And now, we, back then, we didn't know what we were doing. Not that we do now, but we, we, we didn't know what we were doing. We were just trusting the Lord. And um, Peter said earlier, you know, we've been prepared for good works. Uh, we're in his masterpiece, right? Ephesians 2.10, prepared uh, uh, for good works. That he prepared, that the Lord prepared ahead of time that we would walk in them. That's all that we did. We went there, and the Lord just kind of kept opening the doors as we were seeking to, to glorify him with our lives. So now the Lincoln Center, you know, we're, we're in our 19th year. Next year will be 20 years. We've served more than 60,000 people in the country. We have four centers currently, about 70 employees. Always we have at least 1,300 students. Um, and that still goes on. And, and what it's done is it's given me a platform in, in the city, in the, in the civic life, in the nation, that most traditional workers don't have. People know us. We've become a brand name and a trusted name. And some of you that were in the crowd, you saw that this summer. Um, it's been phenomenal. Um, the, the book of Proverbs, uh, chapter 22, verse 29 says, Do you see a man who is skilled with his hands? He will stand before kings, not before obscure men. And we've had a good staff at Lincoln. We've had the best, the best teaching staff in the country. And they have, they've devoted themselves to help the Albanians do better in the, in the subjects we teach. And it's provided us opportunities before kings. You know, um, just truth and time overhand, truth uh, and time, uh, you know, over time, over a long period of time, faithful, and the Lord's opened up doors that we never would have had, like he's doing for Ben and Betsy. They've got two other teammates, also in the marketplace, teaching, both of them teaching, and the Lord using them in phenomenal ways. So I'm going to talk a bit about this today. Before I do that, I want you to know, I want you to see the hands of all the class of 2016, please. Keep them up because I'm going to scan. I just want to look across here. All right. Good, good. I d keep them up. I want to see because I've been praying for this class ever since Wow Week of the tragedy. I've been praying for you. I've been praying for you regularly. Um, I've been praying specifically for your class since that tragedy. I've been praying that the Lord would raise up from this class the greatest number of global, uh, of, of global, I, 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 world changers, global Christians, world Christians. I've been praying that the Lord will raise up from you, starting from that tragedy in Wild Week. And so here you are. You're coming to the end. 
few more weeks, and then you're launching out. It's been a good four years. Started tough, but the Lord's had his hand on you, and you've learned much. In fact, all of you, you never underestimate the value of this Christian liberal arts education you're getting. If student, you know, people may not know the Master's College. They don't know us. You know, and if you're going to go out, if you're a business grad and you're going to go out and compete for a job with an SC grad, it's tough. The Master's College, where's that? It's tough. You, you've got to prove yourself more in the marketplace than they do. They have an advantage because they've got a bigger name. But you've had the training, the equipping, in truth, applied that they don't have. And over time, over time, you master's students that are faithful to the Lord, you will outshine all of your, uh, you know, all those competing with you from other schools if you're faithful. Because you are walking in the truth and applying the truth. Now, you've got to prove yourself. You've got to prove yourself. And this has always been the case for God's people. Always gotta, we, we always have to uh, prove ourselves, but it just takes time, establishing a reputation over time. You've got to do that. But I've been praying for that class, so I wanted to see who you are. Uh, we want to we today, we want to talk about, still not sure where to point this. Which way? This way. Now, you're going to notice on the bottom of every screen, except that one, is my email address. And it's up there because I, I'm, um, oh there it is, robprovost at gmail. I have it up there. I encourage you to write it down because I, I want to be engaged with you. And um, if you got, uh, along the way today, I'm going to say some things that may offend you. I hope not to offend. I hope to challenge. But, uh, but along the way, if, you, if you've got something, write me an email. And I'm not a fast replier these days. I'm, I, I'm busy, but I will reply. And, uh, and I want to be engaged with you, especially um, I want to be engaged with you. You'll see by the end, I want to see many of you living abroad, taking what you've learned here and taking it abroad like Ben and Betsy, taking your marketplace, uh, taking your, your uh, profession abroad. So here today we're going to talk about advancing the gospel through the marketplace. What are we all about? Simply this, we have one mandate from our Lord. The world's changing. The world's continually changing. In fact, it's getting more and more difficult for, for those of us that advance the gospel in Muslim, Muslim lands and other lands, more and more difficult. Even more and more difficult right here in America. Uh, I mean, who knows who's going to be elected this year? We, nobody knows. Only the Lord knows what's going to happen. But we know that the trajectory as it is continues to go down uh, for those of us who love the truth. It's going to be more difficult in the days ahead. And you know what? Bring it on. Bring it on. We've been too, far too comfortable with our cultural Christianity. This kind of pressure will only force us to stand and force the church to be the church. And so bring it on, I say. Uh, the rest of the world, where they haven't had the freedoms we've had for these hundreds of years, the church is growing in the midst of and through oppression and challenges. But it, the world's changing. And as the world changes... Our mandate does not change, it remains the same. We have a mandate from our Lord, that's what this school is all about, is that we be disciple makers. Jesus said before he went back up into heaven, go into all the world, right, and make disciples. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. That's what we're, we're about, that's what every one of us is about. That's our mandate, make disciples. Who? Us. All of us. We've got to be thinking about this intentionally thinking, how am I making disciples? I know it's hard here because we're surrounded by Christians, but you ought, you ought to be thinking off campus, how can I be making disciples? How's my life counting to make disciples right now? 
You know, who, us, how, in every way, when, now. Your ministry doesn't start when you graduate. You're in it now. We're all here to make disciples. We're about making disciples. Now, the question is this. There, there always becomes, there, there's always, a, there's always a, a tension between, I'm just going to frame it up this way. There's a tension between evangelists and theologians often. Evangelists are like, man, we've got to get the gospel out. We've got to go, and they, and they think of creative ways. Let's go try this, and let's try that. And, and the more creative they get, the more nervous the theologians get because they're afraid that the evangelists are going to be presenting a wrong gospel. You know, they're going to get it wrong. And yet the evangelists look at the theologians and go, well, wait a minute, aren't you out sharing too? Well, how come you're not sharing like we are? You're kind of dead, and you're, and you're splitting hairs, and there's this tension, right? So th- then there's a tension between those that want to do mercy. You know, what about, you know, fighting global trafficking? It's a big issue. And I will tell you, in, you know, in, in today's world, in the church today, in the modern Bible church, I'm speaking to you as those that come from Bible churches, in the modern Bible church, you almost never hear anything about anybody fighting trafficking. If you do, you know, among, among us older folks, right, they're like, wow, isn't that kind of a distraction? Aren't we supposed to be about the gospel in the church? How can we spend so much time fighting trafficking? It's a good thing, but how do we? And, and for many of us, we think, wow, that's kind of a distraction to what we're supposed to be doing. But for you all, if I ask you the question, is that a distraction for what we're supposed to be doing? How would you answer? No. <laughs> your generation, it is not a distraction. Your generation, not just you, but your whole generation, you, you are more socially conscious than any generation probably in world history. Probably because of social media and different things, you're more conscious about it. And so, so there's, a, there's a tension between the, the generations. Some of us from our generation, we think, no, it's about preaching the word and, and church planting. And you might think, well, yeah, that's good, but how can we deny what's happened to these kids? How can we look the other way? And there's a tension. So we've come up with this graphic to try to, try to make sense of this. Because what is it? Because we've got a mandate. We have to make disciples. That's what Jesus told us to do. So, so we've come up with this graphic to, to kind of say, what, what are our priorities you know, what should be the priority of a disciple maker? And there's four. Advancing the gospel, advancing the church. We're about the local church, not about anything else but the church. Advancing the truth, bringing light to the darkness, and advancing biblical shalom. We're about those four things. And you'll notice I've got arrows all over there. You see the arrows? The arrows indicate that all these things are in tension with one another. And I say they're all in equal weight. To, to the horror of some that would say, you mean bringing biblical shaloms in the same weight as advancing the gospel? I believe it is. Let me explain it this way. You know, what, what if you're a gospel advancer? You're on the street corners, you're preaching, you're door-to-door, you're a gospel advancer, right? Praise the Lord. And we, look, t- when I was here years ago, Scott Ardervanis and I, every Friday night, we would take students down to Hollywood and Westwood every Friday night to advance the gospel. You know, I'm there, you know, and uh, we, would, we would go down every Friday. We had a Bible study every Friday night. We were down on, on Hollywood Boulevard, some of us, and some of us down in Westwood, and we were uh, sharing the gospel, just, you know, cold turkey, coming up and talking with people. And then at the end, we'd come back and talk, and what a wonderful time. And once in a while, someone would come to faith. 
You know, mostly not. Mostly it was good for us to learn how to, ta- how to share the faith. It was good. But um, if you're only about gospel advancing and you're not about building the church, then you're out of balance. I know a group in Japan, they're all about gospel advancing, but they've not planted one church in 30 years. They've shared the gospel, they've mapped out all of Japan. You know, it's unbelievable, you know. So now I've connected them with a friend who's a church planter, and so he's trying to follow up after their evangelism, but they're out of balance. You know, we, we've got to be advancing, we've got to proclaim the message. How will we ever make a disciple if we don't proclaim the message, right? Well, let's go to the other extreme, advancing biblical shalom. Now, now biblical shalom... Uh, I, I get this from uh, Jeremiah 29.7, but it's all over the scripture. On another occasion, we could talk about it. Email me. Uh, God told his people that were in exile, now just arrived in exile in Babylon. This is what he wanted them to do in Babylon, to seek for the shalom, the well-being, the welfare of the Babylonians, where he had sent them. God had sent them there. While you're there, I want you to authenticate who I am by what you do here in Babylon. You make Babylon a better place. And Daniel did, and so did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They made it a better place. And what happened? Nebuchadnezzar came to faith. And others came to faith because they took it to the marketplace. They took their skills, engineers, and doctors, the best Jewish doctors, brought their technology, which was infused with God's truth, and they, and they uh, cared for people. They built the great city, the Hanging Gardens. I don't, I don't have this documented, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Hanging Gardens, one of the seven wonders, was built by a Jew. Because God told him to go make it a better place. And when they did that, his name was magnified. And it went well for them. So you see, there's the balance. It says, and pray to the Lord on this behalf. That's for their salvation. That's the redemptive balance in this verse. For in its welfare, in its shalom, you'll have your shalom. It'll go well for you. This, if you want to know how to have impact in this world, seek for the glory of God to make it better. Take whatever you're learning here, whether you're in accounting or in music, and you go and you, and you take and make it better. This means you've got to get out of any kind of holy huddle you're in or you may think you're going to be in, and you've got to be out in the world and making him known and proving that our message is true by your lives. So, back to the, back to the schematic here. If you're, only about, if you're only about bringing shalom, you might as well be Mother Teresa. I met Mother Teresa in 1988, and uh, before I knew I'd be an Albanian, so it's nice. I got a picture with her because she was Albanian. She's the, everything, in, and everything important in Albania is named after Mother Teresa. Our airport, the main square, hospital, you know, Mother Teresa. Uh, but Mother Teresa, she cared for people, got a Nobel Prize, but she... A, didn't understand the gospel. She believed the Roman Catholic uh, false, uh, false gospel. And even if she had believed the Roman Catholic false gospel, she didn't even present that to people. She said, we're just here to help people die with dignity. If they're a Muslim, we help them die as a good Muslim, as a Hindu, as a good Hindu. So even she as a Catholic didn't take seriously the mandate of our Lord to try to convert people to faith in Christ before they die, but she helped them have a nice death. What good is that? What good is it? There's lots of big NGOs around the world that, are, that Christians fund that never share the gospel and they're not concerned about the church and they're not advancing God's truth. What good is that? You see where I'm, you see where I'm going with this? I, all this is here in balance. If you're only about truth, let's take this corner, then you're a Pharisee. 
if you're not adding value and loving people and taking what you do to make it better. You know, and if you're, if you're only about the gospel and you might be about the truth, but you're not about the, the church, you're a parachurch, and that's not, that's not biblical. And so you get this? This is the best way we've been able to come up with and understand what our priorities ought to be in fulfilling that great commission, the mandate we all have. And that's, that's best understood, I think, in this context in, in the midst of a Christian liberal arts school. You guys get it. Because you're being trained here in all the multiple professions that you're studying to advance the truth, the church, the gospel, to bring shalom through what you do and make disciples. Do you see, we're about making disciples, not making converts. If you're, if you're about making converts, then you're in that, that top left category, just sharing the gospel and make converts. We're about making disciples. And that involves all of these things. That involves life on life, like it said on the screen. Let's keep going. The corral came to Albania and did a phenomenal, I mean, it was one of the best things we've ever did in these 23 years in Albania. That's them singing in front of the Albanian parliament, singing patriotic and Christian songs as the parliament members walked in. They stopped and listened. Over here is them singing at the grave of our national hero, Skanderbeg, who fought off the Turks. Phenomenal, I'm telling you, it's phenomenal. Now here, here, some of you were there. These are my, these are my unauthorized photos. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't. There's my email, right, if I'm in trouble. Let me ask this, what redemptive value did Fiddler on the Roof have? Was the gospel shared in that message, in, in, in the story? How many of you saw it? Was there a gospel presentation in, in Fiddler on the Roof? Then why do we spend all that time, all that effort, th- all those hours, making people, guys, grow their beards out, right? <laughs> why, why spend all that time if there was no gospel message there? What, what, what value did that place, did that play? I'll tell you what value it played, and the same as when the choir when the choir came and we did the whole Balkan tour, it, it, it added to the, to the narrative already being constructed, already being played out, the narrative of who we are. It, they, it, all, it all was part of this grand narrative of we're about disciple making. We're representing Jesus Christ in this world. We're making him known through, the, through the, the, uh, our talents, um, through our actions. I mean, I guarantee you if you were to watch the Fiddler on the Roof on Saturday night and then you went to New York and watched them do it, on a Sunday night, you would see a marked difference. Okay, maybe they would have some professional actors and, and, a, and a bigger stage and stuff. But you, what you watched with those young people that were using their skills and talents for the glory of God and the heart, which where they did it, was markedly different from what you would ever see in New York. I can guarantee you, if you take that corral, the master's corral, and you put them in a competition with the, what's the, what's the big choir over there in uh, Utah? What's that? Uh, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir? I guarantee you the corral is going to win hands down every day. Why? Because they're singing, not because of it's, you know, it's their job or it's, uh, you know, because they like the profession of singing. They're singing for the glory of the Lord, and that, that sets them on a, on a different plane, completely different plane. I can, I can tell you that there was no, never in the, all the Balkan Peninsula. I mean, they were in Albania, Macedonia, Montenegro, Bosnia, Croatia, never in the Balkan Peninsula has there ever been such a choir. 
And it's all part of the grand narrative. They all knew this was an evangelical choir. These are young people committed to Jesus Christ. It's all part of a grand narrative that adds value, shalom value. The fiddler on the roof adds shalom value to here. How, 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 do I, how can I say that? I can tell you that because I've lived in lands and I still live in a land where we don't have such things. Imagine a land where there is no choir. Okay, most don't have them. That adds a value and it brings glory to God as people are using their gifts. Are you, are you following me? There's great redemptive value because we're all about disciple making, not convert making. If we're just about convert making, then that was a waste of time. But we're not about convert making, we're about disciple making. And, and uh, I, you know, these young people are learning to use their gifts and talents in the theater and behind the scenes in the production and all that for God's glory. So now, when they graduate and go out, they can go do the same thing for the glory of God and add a value to a local community and let the Lord's name be honored as they make disciples. Now, they've got to be sharing the faith. Okay, you always got to be sharing the faith somehow. There's always, those, those things are always in tension with each other. Where'd they go? Back, 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 back. They're always in tension. And that tension is healthy. That tension keeps you on target. It's, it's helpful when the, when the evangelists are saying, well, wait a minute, are you sharing the gospel? Or the church guys are saying, how does this contribute to the, to the development of local church? Don't turn away from that tension. Cherish that tension. It's hard. But that tension keeps you balanced and it keeps you on track. Most of us want to avoid the tension. And when you avoid the tension, then you're, out of, then, then you're completely out of balance and not doing what you ought to do. I had a meeting three weeks ago with the leaders of some Christian businessmen organization in the city we are. And they've spent tens of thousands of dollars on this phenomenal discipleship material for businessmen. Phenomenal. It's really good material. I'm, I'm, in fact, I want to figure out how to use it. That's why we, we met together. They, wanted, they, wanted, they, they came to me as a church leader and said, how can we use this in the church? I'm like, well, first of all, brothers, and I, and I had to say it nicely. I said, remember, iron sharpens iron, right? And there's going to be some sparks when the iron is hitting the iron. There's nothing in your material about the local church. How in the world can you be discipling businessmen and businesswomen apart from, from them being involved and in, in, in serving in and under the authority of a local church? How does that work? And thank the Lord they were starting to get it. So we're, we're, we're finding a way to get them back in. But I think they left years ago because at some point in the church, uh, they, wanted, they were talking about how do we disciple business people, and, and they're going, well, some of the people in the church said, yeah, we, we, we really don't do that. And we're like, well, how do we not do that? So they went and started it. You know, now we're just trying to bring them back in and do it right biblically. So they got to keep in tension, live in the tension, dare to live in the tension. Those of you that are, you're, you're going to graduate from here, you're going to encounter the tension that other Christians don't encounter because you understand what we're talking about today. What we're about is we're about adver, uh, advocating marketplace ministries and you being a marketplace minister. I avoid the word tent maker. We're going to look at Acts 18. Go ahead and turn there, Acts 18. I avoid the word tent maker because as soon as I say tent maker, you instantly think somebody like Ben, that moves abroad with their profession. That's true, okay? Tent maker is a subcategory of a marketplace minister. A marketplace minister, by our definition, is a disciple of Jesus Christ who actively and intentionally represents him in the world, actively and intentionally, those are the key words, 
through their profession or their passion for the sake of fulfilling the mandate. They're actively and intentionally engaged, representing Christ through their profession or their passion. I add passion on there because we, for the last year, we've been involved in, in discussions with a, with a volleyball player from a big D1, uh, a, a girl volleyball player from a D, big D1 school. Unfortunately, she just blew her knee out. But she's been talking to us about moving to Turkey with her passion. She loves volleyball. Because who knew that Istanbul, Turkey is the number one city in the world for professional volleyball? Anybody know that? Some of you volleyball players, did you know that? Okay, think about this, you volleyball players. You know, if you're good enough, we can get over there. My friend Ben, he's got connections. We can, uh, we can find you an agent, maybe get you on a team. And you can take that profession of yours of volleyball and go to Turkey and get paid to play. I don't know how much you get paid, but you get paid enough probably to live there and establish a presence for Christ through your passion, being volleyball, so you can make him known in a land where there's only 5,000 believers out of 80 million people. And there are hardly any in the world of sport. If there's only 5,000, there's even less in the world of sport. You know, a friend of mine who's a pastor in Albania has got a soccer player in his church, and uh, he's a young, up-and-coming soccer player in Albania, and... uh, He's, I said, how's he doing? He's, well, he hasn't been coming around as much. He's been too, spending too much time in the soccer. I've been, I'm, I've been thinking about confronting him. I said, brother, have you been to any of his games? Well, no, I haven't been. Don't confront him. <laughs> get to his game and get involved in his life and encourage this guy because we have no athletes in Albania that are following Christ. Hopefully he's done that. So this is what we're all about, and what, 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 we're, what today, you know, because of what we stumbled onto as we, as we were engaged there, and, and I've been in Albania in the marketplace, we're about mobilizing more people that have some kind of marketplace profession to take it abroad so they can establish a presence for Christ and thus fulfill the mandate to build the church, to make disciples, right? Acts chapter 18 is where we get to, when we understand that Paul is a tent maker. It's the first time he's ever called a tent maker, and there's this incredible story and I'm going to have to jump through it. Incredible story of how he planted a church in Corinth using his tent making. And some, some like to beg to differ with me about this. I say that Paul was a tent maker and, he, and his tent making was part of his strategy to advance the gospel and, and uh, the church and the truth, bringing shalom to fulfill his mandate. Some say, no, he just did it to earn some money so he could, so he could then minister so, then, so it was just the way he earned some money so he could then share the gospel. No, it's much more than that. We don't have time to go through it, but here's my outline. Whoop, wrong way. Maybe you better check the battery on this thing for the next session. <laughs> All right, we're going to go through here, Paul. That's, uh, this, is, this is a map of all old Corinth. You know, the only reason I show this to you and uh, maybe there's, is there a laser on here? Ah, you can't see it. Anyhow, there's some shops here, there's some shops here, there's some shops there, the marketplace. We don't know where Paul would have set up shop, but he was in the marketplace. Key to note, right here, you see that? It says Bima. Can anybody, can, is that too small to see, Bima? Can you see that? You can't see it. You can see it. Bima. That's the judgment seat. Okay, That'll, that's important later in the story. This was Paul's seven-step plan for planting a church, and I'm going to cut to the, to the good stuff, right? Here you can see, though, he engaged first 
new friends for the mandate. First, through his profession. He, he had come from Athens. He's now in Corinth. First thing he does, he goes into the marketplace, and he goes into the area of the markets where they make tents because he knew that's where he would find a friend and some work, a place to establish a presence. So he went into the marketplace. That's verses 1 and 2. He meets Priscilla and Aquila. These two Jews are also tent makers. They invited him to work with him. I, we don't know. Did he have a resume with him? Did he have a sample of his work? Were they just overwhelmed and they trusted him? We don't know why they hired him, but they hired him. And they also gave him a place to stay. Priscilla and Aquila are the best. They're the best. They're the models for you marketplace ministers. Priscilla and Aquila. They're the most important couple in the whole New Testament. Study their lives. So, he engaged first through his business, created a presence, then he went to the synagogue. Now, we know he always went first to the synagogue, then to the Gentiles, right? But first was he went in to the place where he knew something. He knew his tent making. If you were a volleyball player, you'd go and you'd find the volleyball club, right? You're going somewhere, this is what I know. And you go and you start engaging with people, talking about digs and spikes or whatever volleyball players talk about. <laughs> then, verses 4 to 6 is when he engaged. You know, he dialogued with them and exposed them to Christ. Christ the Messiah. He was telling them who, who he was representing. Then, they formed an ecclesia. And then he stayed for a year and a half and equipped them. But here's what I want to get to, is he exemplified Christ in the marketplace. How do I know this? I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, I know I'm reading a bit in the white space, but not really, because you take the whole of Scripture. You take the whole of Scripture, you realize that Paul was raised in a Jewish home. He was, you know, at three I started Hebrew school, at ten I learned a trade, right? He learned a trade. He was a tent maker, right? And their songs are all going through my head. I went twice, you know. <laughs> so he, he knew his trade, and uh, he goes into the marketplace, and, and uh, he's working, but he also had been taught how to work, not just the skill, but how to work. Look at the Proverbs. Look at what Solomon said about how to work and how not to work. Look at all the Proverbs in there about the just weights and balances and not paying bribes. Paul was a faithful Jew. He knew all that. And he would have been applying the Old Testament Scripture as he's making Christ known as he's making his tents. The Jews had a certain work ethic that they did not have in Corinth, this pagan land. And I'm telling you, I'm calling you as a representative of the undeveloped world, the developing world, the lands where we have not had the gospel of Christ, where we have not had the truth, where the church is not established. I'm telling you, they don't work well. And so when you go and you have a work ethic, then you love people as you work. You stand out. You're light in the darkness. We've seen it. In Albania, we had 400 years under the Ottoman Muslims. They made us Muslim. And then fi 50 years under the worst communists where they eliminated all religion. So we come into a people that know nothing. They've been literally in the dark for centuries. And all we've determined to do, and, and I met with my staff last week and went over this all again. All we've determined to do is to honor the Lord through our work and, and honor, you know, we, we realize God is and God's made everybody in His image. So we treat people you know, we care for them in, the, in that Imago day. We try to treat them the way we like to be treated and give them the most excellent service. And by doing that, the Lord's established for himself a business for his glory. 
Paul was in that marketplace, and he was making his tents, and uh, probably, you know, because it doesn't say, uh, Luke's a good historian, so Luke probably would have told us if Priscilla and Aquila already believed in Jesus, but he doesn't say that, so in all likelihood, they were the first ones in Corinth. Another, another guy believed first, Sosthenes, uh, I think was his name, uh, but, but they would have been disciples, or he's in their home, he led them along to faith, and later they became this greatest couple, right? So, um, if you would have been in the marketplace, if you would have been there and you would have been walking through, you would have done that double take on Paul's tents. You would have been walking and go, wow, hey, those are good. Like Harry did with my haircut. You know, you would go, that, that's, that's, and, and, and you would have been inquiring more about Paul's tent because he, for the sake of the gospel, listen, for the sake of the gospel, right? Ugh. He never would have made a bad tent because the gospel's too precious. The gospel's too precious ever to make a bad tent. He would have had the best return policy, right? If anything went wrong, he would have taken care of it because he was the witness of Christ there. If he would have made a bad tent, whoever would have believed him? Nobody. If he would have cheated somebody, who would have believed him? Nobody. Not only that, but the tax guys would come along. They come along to us at Lincoln. They come along regularly, and we don't like them. You know, they're very proud, and they're pushy, and I understand why, because everywhere they go, people fight with them, and they lie, so they know everyone's lying. I, I, I'm not exaggerating. I think we're among maybe only 10 organizations that have never paid a bribe in Albania and pay all of the taxes we're supposed to pay. Not anymore, but just what we're supposed to pay. You know, and, and so... When, when they would have come to Paul and Priscilla and Aquila and said, hey, we're here for your taxes, they would have said, hey, sit down. Uh, here's what we've made, so this should be what we owe. Here, here you go. Okay, that's very good. Would you like a cup of tea? Yeah. That's that would have been the high point of their day is visiting Paul and Priscilla and Aquila because they wouldn't have been arguing with them. Why? Because the gospel's too precious to cheat on your taxes or to argue with the tax man. Too precious. How in the world could, could Paul risk the, his gospel presentation by, by trying to skim a penny or two here or there. Never. Never. In Albania, you know, we planted the church. So throughout the, the week, I'm running Lincoln with my, with my staff. I don't know anything about ESL, and we've had 60,000 graduates. That's um, uh, glory to the Lord. But if we would have ever paid a bribe on a Friday, and then on Sunday the tax guy shows up and he sees me preaching... What credibility does my message have? Zero. You see what I'm saying about what a marketplace minister is and how Paul was making Christ known. He was authenticating everything he said. And he had such a phenomenal testimony that when the opposition came, and remember that bemacy, he was called before Gallio. The Jews brought him before him, and they had these charges. They were dumb charges. They were baseless. And Paul, Paul was eager. He wanted to present in front of a big audience. And Gallio said, Paul, I got this. Why would Gallio do that? Okay, the charges were dumb, and maybe he didn't like the Jews. I don't know. But here's what I know for sure, is that every civil, civic leader, every city leader, they all know who their best business people are. They all know who adds the best shalom value in their marketplace. And there was no way he was going to let those Jews shut down one of his best people that had raised the, the, and, and elevated the stature you know, of the Corinth market. You understand what I'm saying? 
He stood for him. A few years back, five years ago, I think it was, in Morocco, they were go- there, there were some uh, enterprising extreme Muslims that were Googling the names of local expats. They were workers. And they were finding all this stuff on the Internet about the Smith sent from First Baptist Church. And online it says, pray for us in Morocco as we share the gospel with Muslims who don't have any hope or whatever. And 234 families were removed from Morocco because of stuff on the Internet. Be careful with what you post. And if you're going to move abroad, you better stop thinking now about what's up there about you. It's all global now. 234 families were removed. There were 11 families in there that had started businesses and employed people. Five of them were on the list to be removed. And as soon as their local mayors in these towns found out that they were being removed, they called the Ministry of Interior and said, hey, I think there's a mistake. You can't remove these people. They've added jobs here. They're too important to us. Those five were allowed to stay, 234. So all 11 stayed that had started businesses for God's glory to advance the mandate. Isn't that interesting? Because the, because the civic leaders recognized the value that they added in the way that they lived. So this is my message to you. Be a marketplace minister. Not a tent maker is abroad. Marketplace now. And that's what you've been hearing for four years, you seniors. It's now. It's here. We just started an organization. I've got to wrap up. I got, look at all this stuff I'm, that, I'm, that I'm going through that I didn't have time to. Look at all this stuff. Can't, can't get there. I'm trying. 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 All right, back. We started a new organization called Apex International Ex- Expats. We are not a missions agency. We are an association of like-minded, Bible-believing, mandate-oriented expatriates. We want to help you move abroad. You don't need a missions agency. We'll help you. We'll coach you to be successful. Your church will send you. We'll work with your church. We'll, they'll send you, but you're on no one's missionary list. You're an expat living in Turkey, living in Jordan, like, like Eric G. Is, is, is an apex expat with us. You may be you're living in, some, in any of these lands uh, where you can take the gospel through your profession, and we'll coach you. You, joined our organ, you join us. We'll coach you. We'll mentor you to success. And you'll be, you know, you'll be a marketplace minister with a network of other marketplace ministers. I want you to think this way if you're thinking about moving abroad. We've got an event coming up, and I'll close with this. It's in May. School will be out, but we're going to be doing something together with Mark Tatlock and TMEI on, on um, the global marketplace. I'm out of time. I wish we were more time. I'm thankful for you all. I continue to pray for this college. I'm thankful my boys are here. Thankful for the phenomenal leaders You guys are all in the right place. The Lord's hand is on you. Keep pressing forward. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the time together. Pray for every person here, especially that class of 2016. Set them apart. Everyone here, Lord, use them for your glory. Raise them up to go to the four corners of the earth, fulfilling the mandate, taking what they've learned here. Thank you, Father, for this school. Bless them in their classes this day. Help them to be a blessing to each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.